if we don't do it, Sky will. The Football Podcast. Three friends picking the bones out of the weekend's football. Hello and welcome to episode six, season two of If We Don't Do It, Sky Will, the football podcast with Alex Gross, George Harker and Nick Gilmer with you once again to discuss the weekend's football. And what a weekend it was. The big stories, uh, the biggest of them all, probably at the Emirates, lamentably from my point of view, as Arsenal recapture top of the league with a dramatic 3-2 win over Liverpool, who are in crisis, question mark. But uh, we shall discuss that elsewhere. Uh, Man City, Chelsea get routine wins. Spurs win on the road at Brighton. Manchester United win at a somewhat subdued Goodison Park under the lights in strange Sunday night circumstances. Leeds lose at Crystal Palace. Brentford are hammered by Newcastle at St. James's Park. West Ham pick up a big win against Fulham on Sunday afternoon. And... Uh, Leicester, having picked up an important win last Monday during the recording of our previous pod, are beaten again down on the south coast at Bournemouth. Tonight, there is also the Monday Night Football, Nottingham Forest at home to Aston Villa, drawing 1-1 as I speak. But uh, let's welcome Nick Gilmer, Manchester United fan. Hello, hello. And George Harker, our Leeds fan on the Isle of Man. Hello. Now, it was a special weekend, especially since George Harker flew down to London and spent a night on the tiles with me on Friday, which meant that we uh, were moving a bit gingerly on Saturday. However, I did manage to catch the Spurs game at Brighton, um, Harry Kane. No one's really talking about him because Erling Haaland has 15 goals, which is absolutely obscene. But Harry Kane has eight and nine and is uh, banging them away and uh, scored a brilliant header early in the first half at Brighton, uh, a good Brighton side who've been in great form, of course. And then I um, I fell asleep, which um, might have had a bit to do with the previous night's escapades, but also with Conte's system that I have complained about on here many times. And the fact that both teams had XGs uh, less than one, and it was just last game on match of the day and all round drab. But George is obviously going to tell me that I can't complain <clears throat> and that three points are incredibly valuable and we're still in there. Anyway, let's talk about the uh, the big game of the weekend Arsenal. Uh, I found myself watching this in an Arsenal pub uh, just down the road from the Emirates, which isn't ideal, especially uh, when Arsenal get the result. And uh, I did say the atmosphere would be giddy, and it was, especially when they scored after a minute. Uh, did you both uh, catch this game? What did you make of it? Yeah, I did. And I thought um, thought Arsenal were really good. I think um, Liverpool being dreadful is, uh, is is playing into everyone's hands. But I definitely think that Arsenal, I'm prepared to now admit that they are class footballing side under Arteta. As much as he annoys the hell out of me, they seem to have found a new gear this season. We may have to countenance the idea that they are there to stick around. Well, I think they probably would have even giddier ambitions if City weren't in the mix. But, yeah, um, of course. Everyone's playing for second. And uh, at the moment, they look the best bet. And Saka is the one Arsenal player that I deigned to choose for my fantasy football team. And that was a good selection this week. He, he took the penalty as well, which uh, I was surprised by. But yes, he scored twice, uh, had another great game in great form. Uh, for England as well. We saw him at the uh, England-Germany game at Wembley, Nick and I, last week. So, exciting player there. Um, what about Liverpool? 
they've still only won two matches in the league this season. Obviously, they've got that late win over Ajax in the uh, Champions League, and then they also won the Battle of Britain against Rangers, um, <laughs> which we all purposefully <laughs> avoided as it was hyped to the rafters. But yeah, still only won two league games. Uh, George, it's a, it's a real crisis, isn't it? Um, mm. I mean, of the scale that you wouldn't understand. <laughs> it's all relative, isn't it? I understand that. Um, <laughs> I think this has probably been two years in the making with Liverpool, though. I, I'm fully aware they ran Man City to the last game last season, but I think we touched on this last week, that their transfer policy, yeah. um, Klopp is constantly heralded for not spending any money, which is obviously absolute nonsense. But um, they haven't tried to you know, bridge that gap to Man City, and they had this pretty woeful summer um, just gone. I think they're now 14 points behind Man City, so you can totally count them out a bit. It doesn't matter what happens from here on in. They're not in that fight, and they've got a real battle on their hands to get into top four, haven't they? I mean, They did um, spend a lot of money, and they brought in their mm -hmm. front man who did score on Sunday. So is it really just transfers? Is there more to it? Well, I I repeat myself from last week, I think. I I think it's the beginning of the end of the clock reign. I think this this happens, doesn't it? I think Nick referred to it being cyclical with Man City. I think this is cyclical for Liverpool and... I don't know if Southampton how many years it is now he's been there, but it's um, seven. There's a there's a confidence issue there, and there's a, an attitude issue I think, which is highlighted by Trent and his. I shouldn't refer to him like his first name because I hate when commentators do that. Um, <laughs> Trent Alexander Arnold's defending is kind of indicative of their attitude at the moment, I think. And um, yeah, I think there's more to it than transfers, definitely. Um, but yeah, a crisis is probably right considering where they were last season. So thank you for mentioning um, Alexander-Arnold. On last week's Monday Night Football, Gary Neville did this fabulous analysis of his play at right back, which Gary Neville obviously knows all about. And he showed uh, the sort of stance and positioning and movement that he lacks in defensive areas, while importantly highlighting that he's an excellent offensive player. The night before, he scored a beautiful uh, free kick against Rangers that the nation's back pages then used to claim that he'd answered his critics. But the point is, of course, that his critics are talking about his defending. And it was in this game at Arsenal that he showed everything, really, that uh, Gary Neville had talked about. And um, it suggested that he wasn't watching Neville's criticism, wasn't it, Nick? Well, it's almost like he's... He's doubling down on it, actually. I feel like the criticism has gotten into his head so badly that he's sort of saying, well, I don't need to defend. It's really strange, actually, seeing a player who's so gifted and so brilliant yeah. just not bother playing his actual position because it is like he's, you know, he's decided he doesn't need to do it or he's above it. And I definitely don't think that that's what is actually happening here. I think he's a very young player. He's played an awful lot of football at a very young age with an enormous expectation on him as a hometown boy. Um, Do you think because of that he's undroppable? Do you think he's undroppable? No, I, I, I actually think, well, under Klopp, perhaps, because I think Klopp mm. has such loyalty. Um, it's yeah. one of his strengths and the, the way he gets the best out of those players. But I think he's got a real problem if another manager does come in, because I think the first thing you do is you bring in a proper right back. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 100%. I think he's, you've watched that as anyone else but Klopp, and surely Liverpool fans, they must, I don't know many, <laughs> to ask this question to, they must be questioning his, him being picked. Week it's, become a, um, it's become one of these football culture wars, hasn't it? Yeah. For a Liverpool fan, he's the best thing since sliced bread. Like Van Dijk, Van Dijk, has, his form has dropped off and actually is, is being shielded by Trent's because Van Dijk has not been the sort of superhuman... No, he's not quite the same he once was. Yeah, no. Um, but well, uh, and Salah, of course, there's like there's a, quite a few of them who've all dropped off at exactly the same moment. Yeah, Salah's never been the same since he was put in the shade by Mane at the Afcon, <laughs> yeah. and got his um, new contract and the, the contract. Yeah. Out. yeah, 
But ironically, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold is a player that I would love in our system as a wing-back where yeah. we only have Emerson Royale or, shudder to think, uh, as on Saturday, Matt Doherty. I would love Trent in that system where he wouldn't have to be so responsible for the defensive side of things because he'd have Romero tucked right inside him. Um, I think Southgate has tried that. And I, I, I don't remember the match, but I do seem to remember it didn't work quite as well as it feels like it should naturally work. Yeah. Well, Reese James is even better in that position. Yeah. I think we all agree on this show, don't we? Yeah, I think Reese James is a hell of a player. Credit Southgate for sticking to his guns with, with Alexander-Arnold. It'd be easy yeah. to bow to the pressure. and He obviously knows what he's doing. And he's not prepared to just pick him because he plays for Liverpool. And he's won all these trophies. And he was proved teams. right in this match, yeah. So Liverpool, having only won those two games in the league, one of them the 9-0 against Bournemouth, where everything clicked. Um, Scott Parker's Bournemouth, must add. They welcome Manchester City next weekend. So um, it could get worse before it gets better. And they're down there on 10 points, is it? Yeah. They're in 10th place on just 10 points behind the likes of Fulham. And Bournemouth, indeed, ironically, whom they thrashed. So, yeah, it's uh, difficult to see what's going to happen to Liverpool the remainder of the season. It does feel, uh, it does remind me a lot of Klopp's last season at Dortmund when they were suddenly mid-table, having won a couple of championships and done so well. They definitely won't sack him. There's no way that Liverpool Mm. will sack Klopp. And I actually can't see him walking away. So I think he'll stay there until at least the summer. And he didn't, he wasn't far off this sort of crisis two years ago. He needed that, that Allison header, I think it was against West Brom, to get top four. Ah, uh, yes. And, and I think they'll be hoping that they can get through this season, still sat at the top table of the Champions League. And then maybe, it, it always felt like a transition season with Mane leaving. Firmino was being phased out, but has been undroppable since being brought back in. Um, yes, you said last on the last yeah. pod that he was undroppable and then he was dropped. That was quite funny. Yeah, well, that <laughs> shows what I know. <laughs> but yes, he played uh, He played Nunes at Arsenal. He did score, but uh, the system is different. As John Barnes very uh, helpfully pointed out, he was a lot more useful than Paul Merson to his side on that panel this weekend, I must say. Uh, Nick, later that night, we talked about it. We reckon Man United were in action at Goodison Park, a sort of absolute Premier League classic fixture that you'd expect to be at lunchtime for police operational reasons, <laughs> usually. Uh, and this was at seven o'clock on Sunday and Everton scored through Wobie after five minutes and the atmosphere was really good. I bet you didn't have high hopes at that stage. No, I mean, it's the sort of fi- well, it is the, a fixture where United often drop points um, and I was definitely going into it expecting a draw to have been a decent result off the back of the last week or so. And then you can see the early and it's a team that is famously mentally very weak and collapses under the slightest pressure. And I just didn't expect that first half in particular to then follow where United grabbed hold of a game for as long as I can remember, like dominating in midfield. This is a team that's been built around counter-attacking at pace for some years now, actually, and Casemiro coming into that midfield. Suddenly, United were dictating the pace and the tempo and yeah. had possession. And now, uh, this, you know, this really is a question of personnel, isn't it? Because we yeah. we've had so many shows talking about Fred and McTominay. And when you say dominating the midfield, the people who were dominating that midfield were Christian Eriksen and Casemiro. Yeah. Oh, completely. And actually, I think... One of the, the comments I made um, on one of the WhatsApp groups was uh, all of Ten Hag's signings. Now, I've obviously speculated that Casemiro might not have been his, but all of the people he has brought in since becoming manager play particularly well. Like Ericsson and Casemiro yeah. look like a new midfield duo that's actually properly top four quality. Anthony keeps scoring and is a 
natural finisher by the looks of it, albeit a very one-footed one. And Martinez has, you know, after all that criticism, has actually established himself really quickly as a centre-back in the Premier League. And he's um, a great battler. Yeah, yeah, he is. And he's the sort who, you know, for home matches in particular, the crowd are going to be always behind him. And I, I was really impressed with the first half. United seem always to be stuck when they're winning games between going for the throat and protecting what they've got. And the second half played out exactly like that. And you could see the Everton equaliser coming. And I think yeah. if it wasn't for some bad Everton finishing and some lucky intervening headers that they set pieces at the end, it probably would have been two all, which would have just about been fair, I reckon. But what surprised me, especially with the media narrative that we are fed about uh, Everton fans' close relationship with their manager, the all-hallowed Frank Lampard, what (laughs) what surprised me was how they failed or couldn't quite get the crowd back on side after the first half, after you'd scored um, those two goals from Anthony and Cristiano. Because really, that was the obvious way that uh, they were going to get something out of you with that Goodison Park, uh, fearsome atmosphere, especially against their most or second most hated opponent. I have no point of reference here because Sunday night is a weird kickoff. It wasn't yeah. quite late evening. It wasn't quite tea time. It was slap right in the middle of seven o'clock kickoff. And I think a Tuesday night, it might have been a very different vibe. But you're right. I think the first half in particular, after the response that United made to the goal that Everton scored, um, it did seem to pop the balloon a little bit. Yeah. Now, the goal was uh, funny as well, the, the United second goal. You predicted just before kickoff that uh, the manager was wasting one of his subs because yeah. Martial clearly was injured or had some sort of tweak in a muscle in the warm-up. He was duly taken off and replaced by Ronaldo, whom Ten Hag seems desperate not to play. And then Ronaldo scored this wonderful goal, which was made when Casemiro actually lost the ball uh, for perhaps the first time in the match, but then won it and redeemed himself with a wonderful through ball for Cristiano. Well, second time that Casemiro lost it because he also lost it for the Everton goal. But um, what was really interesting that no one actually picked up on in the commentary was that Sancho was sat on the bench and throughout the rest of this season, Sancho has been ahead of Ronaldo and he he could have moved Rashford through the middle. So actually, I think Ronaldo coming off the bench to replace Martial was was quite revealing. It'll be interesting to see if Ronaldo gets the start against Newcastle uh, next weekend. Um, yeah. Because I think his performance justified it. I think having a focal point who's not just constantly trying to run in behind, albeit that's how he scored, um, I thought was really useful, actually. And he he seemed to link up really well with Casemiro, in particular for the goal, but Ericsson pushing forward, Bruno as well. I thought having that focal point, as opposed to Rashford, who would have played on the shoulder, was, was a a nice touch in that first half that seemed to work. Great. So you've just mentioned that you've got Newcastle at home uh, next week, an informed Newcastle side yeah. who sit just below you, a point behind you in six, four wins out of your last five. Uh, are you feeling relatively positive now? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, George will slap me down if I'm, if I say anything other than we're on an upward trajectory. <laughs> but um, I think, <laughs> you know, being spanked by your nearest rivals is embarrassing but I think a lot of teams will have their pants pulled down by City this year yeah so otherwise I think we've had a, a fairly good run I think Newcastle is about the level of this United team actually and I think we'll both be in the mix for the same sort of places in the league whether that's fifth or sixth or, or at a stretch top four okay. and so I'm really interested to see how Ten Hag has got this United batch of players playing if you can get that midfield right United will have a very good season and, and the promising signs against Everton were there
Over the Line is the exciting new book by Alexander Gross on the unparalleled rivalry between England and Germany. It is an in-depth look at 120 years of Anglo-German encounters, from the Christmas truce to the recent success of Gareth Southgate's England. Over the Line is available on Amazon and all good bookstores from the 12th of September. Okay, welcome back to part two. And our two contributors here have made an interesting bet. Nick, after just saying that he uh, thinks his beloved Manchester United will fight for positions with Newcastle, what's the wager you've just taken from George? Uh, George has bet me that uh, United will actually finish above Arsenal this season. And because I, I love a bet, I'm taking it. We haven't put them out on it. It's to be determined. I think dignity suffices. It's okay, on record now. Yeah, but, um, back. but yeah, uh, I, I'm all in support of reeling in Arsenal, whoever you are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my team also had a Derby Day disaster, as we covered in last week's show, just like uh, Nick's. We lost uh, terribly at Arsenal, which unfortunately is nothing new for us. We bounced back fairly well. We went to Frankfurt in the Champions League last midweek and we had a first half full of chances and much more positive play than we've seen in plenty of matches recently. And then we went to Brighton where I, was, I wasn't really willing to give any kind of prognosis because of Brighton's good form. And um, I think what's important was that we scored early but as one of you uh, mentioned to me the worst thing that can happen to uh, neutral observers of Spurs matches is um, is an early goal for Conte's team isn't it because it does sort of nullify the contest and like I said both teams had an xg lower than one and uh, nothing nothing else happened not that I would know because I dozed off during the second half uh, don't have much to say on this really except it's our second way away win of the season after also winning at Forest so that's a huge positive Conte was um, very energized by it he was extremely triumphant in victory and we have Frankfurt at home in the return match of the Champions League which I'm going to in a couple of days and the group is so interesting with one team on six points, two on four points and one on three points. So everything to play for in the second half of that group stage calendar. Another reason that uh, it was so emotive, especially for Conte and his colleagues on Saturday, is the death last week of Giampiero Vetrone, the fitness coach at a very young age of 62 with leukemia. That was very sad. And I saw today they uh, planted an Italian species of tree in his honour at the training ground. So I do think that uh, maybe that had something to do with the uh, committed performance on Saturday and the sort of uh, team spirit because they they really all the players praised him to the hilt and said he made a huge difference to them in the time that Conte and his team had been at the club uh, and he was lost so suddenly to to a sudden illness and at quite a uh, a quite a young age so uh, potentially that had something to do with it George uh, yeah just going to say that Brighton's home form is is incredible it's one of the best in the league so it's not a result to be sniffed at or be right. albeit not to your liking entertainment wise um, no. It's actually their first home defeat since you last beat them in uh, in March. So That's a good point. They did show that stat, yeah, no. um, when uh, Harry Kane kicked the bottle into the fans, that famous photograph with the raving third kit on. <laughs> but yes, they've drawn with Newcastle, beaten Leicester, beaten another team beginning with L, George. Uh, <laughs> and they had, a, they had a home game against Crystal Palace, obviously called off the other week. So, yep. Yeah. 
good side. And uh, Nick, your um, your famous uh, metal rocker De Zerbi was left having to bemoan that football is unfair at the end. Oh, welcome to the sport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was a fun interview, at least. And so we uh, move up the road, as they lead us to believe, but really it's uh, many miles away at uh, Brighton's fierce local rivals, Crystal Palace. Don't Never we, understand that. Uh, where Leeds had a good time of it early on, um, made a very mm-hmm. bright start, uh, scored through your one of your American uh, Red Bull recruits. They're all interchangeable to me. You'll have to explain to me which one that was. And um, then... Patrick Vieira's Crystal Palace hit back. Um, I had the game on, didn't engage with it much, I must say. Uh, I did I did catch that uh, you made a strong start. So can you explain to us what went wrong? Yeah, strong first half hour, very much in control um, and took the deserved lead. I think you're talking about Aronson, he weaved into the box. Um, he didn't actually score, unfortunately, but the rebound off the post was put away by uh, Pascal Stroik. And yeah, fully in control, Palace looked very wobbly at the back. And then gave away a needless free kick just after the half hour mark. And um, my latest fantasy football transfer, Hudson Edward, <laughs> stooped to put um, a simple, unchallenged header into the top corner. And Which is precisely why you put him in your team, because he, you, you thought obviously. he might get one against your team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we had the next shot we had was in injury time in the second half. I, I don't really know what happened. I just know that there's an increasing sense amongst our fan base that uh, Jesse Marsh doesn't have a plan B right. of any description. His, his substitutions are like for like. On, conversely, Patrick Vieira changed the system almost entirely at half time. I mean, without making any substitutions, he changed to more or less a pack three and and completely pendants into our own half for almost the entirety of the second half. Um, whereas Marsh doesn't seem to have that now yet, or will he ever? I don't know. It's it's getting a bit. Yeah, people are already asking the question about Marsh, which seems very premature, but it's just a recurring theme. We had that lovely victory against Chelsea, which I keep mentioning. But since then, it's been pretty dour. Uh, We've played five mid-table bottom half teams and got two points. Yeah, Um, seven points after three games has turned into nine points after eight games. So um, not a great time to be welcoming the league leaders next week. Well, or is it? Or is it? Maybe maybe we only beat the big teams this season. Maybe it's the opposite. Um, We'll (laughs) we'll do our best. The pod will be right behind you, I can (laughs) attest. But between now and the somewhat imminent World Cup break, we've got some very tricky fixtures and a yep. sprinkling of easier, inverted commas, fixtures. But even then, it's talking about Leicester away, seemingly fighting for their lives. We've got Fulham, who are surprising everyone and look like they might even be safe already. So, yeah, it's it's getting a bit a bit towards that sort of... Um, I don't want to talk about relegation. It's a bit early for that. But um, yeah. well, we you need do have... to stop the rut. I recognise the tough fixtures, especially uh, going to Liverpool and to us, Mm. to Tottenham, the last game before the World Cup. But having Mm. said that, you also have Fulham and Bournemouth at home, perhaps targeting those as six six huge points, potentially. Potentially, but not... I don't feel like anyone's talking about it. Gary O'Neill's unbeaten as Bournemouth manager after five games, which is so yeah. impressive. So um, they're, they're not guaranteed points by any stretch. Yeah, it, I wouldn't say it's a crisis. Seems to be the, the word of the day on this pod, but it's just not great. And it's it, you know these are the games we need to pick points from if we are going to <laughs> achieve we were, what we seem to want, which is mid. We were merely baiting you, George. Are you in crisis? Would you like to not state yet. the case? Not yet, but five games without a win, you know. You, you can't really go more than that without starting to think it's a crisis and people start managing being axed, odds t- start to tumble. And you What's know, the, the latest big... score tonight at the City Ground? It's 1-1. One, one. 
One one. Okay. Well, Nottingham Forest five defeats in a row, isn't it? So are, are they crisis club, George? Oh, so maybe we'll give Marsh a new contract. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> I've set him up and he's hit it out of the park. That was odd. What was that all about? Do you think that um someone else went in for him? Do you think Leicester is sitting around? I think he got called into the chairman's office, took some cardboard boxes with him and got pleasantly surprised that he got a, <laughs> a pen to sign a new contract with. I've no idea. Being bottom of the league and getting a new contract is brand new to me. I've never, never heard of that before. But, you well, know, yeah. at, the, at the same time, I wouldn't ask a manager that's just ended your 20-plus year exile from the Premier League, obviously. But a new contract's the other extreme. No, Probably think... best that we don't say more about that chairman after in a previous show suggesting that he was a gun-wielding <laughs> Greek madman and we misidentified him. We retracted all of it. Good thing that there isn't a legal department here. That was that was another Greek chairman listener. <laughs> listener, we only got one listener. <laughs> <laughs> listener in general. Yes. Okay, so last week in Europe, I talked about Spurs' uh, creditable point in Frankfurt, the Europa League winners, of course. Uh, I thought it was a good performance, slight, slightly frustrating that we didn't score, of course, but um, I think it keeps us right in the hunt there with two home games coming up that I am reasonably excited about. Elsewhere, you'd have to say it was one of those Champions League weeks where all the favourites won, I think, with the exception of PSG drawing in Lisbon. But uh, certainly all the all the English teams uh, won. Chelsea beat uh, a, a ravaged AC Milan squad easily. Liverpool beat Rangers. Manchester City swatted aside Copenhagen. Even Manchester United won at uh, a confused Cypriot Celtic tribute band Ammonia managed by... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Neil Lennon. Uh, we said we'd report back this week on why they play with a shamrock on their badge uh, and play in green and white hoops. I'm even more confused than I was last week after they uh, held up a great big TIFO saying on Her Majesty's service. So is this the most confused football club in Europe? I think they're having an identity crisis, that's for sure. Yeah, I have to say, I, I dipped in and out of this match. I was quite pleased that the uh, the Cypriot team made it competitive, actually. United avoided embarrassment and you just have to get out the group in the Europa League, don't you? What was quite funny for the for the unbiased uh, onlooker was uh, Ronaldo's sheer frustration. Oh. He was so keen to come and prove everybody wrong and score a few goals. And, well, uh, that and also just the, all of the United players tripping over themselves to lay one on a plate for him. Yeah, it and it like just didn't come. Sport. Yeah, it simply didn't come. It was quite funny. But the win did come. So uh, you march on in that group. Two wins after your initial defeat to Sociedad and now you welcome Neil Lennon to Old Trafford I'm sure you didn't expect to hear that phrase a few months ago <laughs> uh, West Ham are doing very well three wins uh, they won in Anderlecht and now they welcome them because this week is a uh, is a, a mere reversal of all the fixtures which also means that Arsenal go to Bodo Glimt I don't even know what part of that name is the place so I don't know where they're going to but they're going to play against Bodo Glimt, excuse my ignorance. All I remember is uh, Mourinho's result against them. Yeah, so uh, let's look ahead to um, next week after this uh, short break. Okay, welcome back to part three. George is going to relieve us of our ignorance about uh, Bodo Glimt. What have you? Uh, what can you tell us, George? 
<laughs> Bodo is the town or yeah. village. Sorry, it's a very very small place in Norway. Uh, I was very ignorant. I thought it was Eastern European team. Oh, that's even worse than me. Good. Yes, uh, that makes me gl- feel better. Sorry to our Norwegian listeners. Glint, uh, just lightning in Norwegian, but that's not the best bit. The best bit is that Glint are apparently uh, known for their yellow kits and huge yellow toothbrushes that supporters carry to matches and have done since the nineteen seventies. They carry novelty toothbrushes yes. to the match. <laughs> okay. I'll come back to you next week with an explanation with the reason, why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, I'm sure uh, I'm sure they'll all be writing in. So, as I said, uh, Arsenal go there. Chelsea to the San Siro. Liverpool to Ibrox, which again, if you don't want all the Battle of Britain narrative, especially from BT's very saccharine uh, commentary team and Steve McManaman, who does my head in anyway, uh, we'll be avoiding that one. And uh, Manchester City go to Copenhagen. United welcome Omonia. Tottenham welcome Frankfurt. I'll be there. And West Ham and elect. That takes us to next week in the Premier League. And we've got uh, top of the bill, primetime Sunday on Super Sunday, Liverpool, Man City. Now, this has for the last few seasons been an absolute uh, summit meeting hasn't it it's all it's almost always been a fantastic game as well a couple of two twos recently have been very memorable especially um if liverpool were to beat them at anfield next sunday the gap would be 10 points still so um george you've already said uh, they might as well not even be thinking about it anymore klopp said that as well yeah That's of course thing. yeah Sad for Sky, I suppose, because they lose their uh, their blue ribboned meeting of the season uh, for the last three or four seasons. But um, what does this game mean now? Can anyone stop City, or what are what are the narratives for you? I could see Pep finally arresting Haaland just to make a point that he can <laughs> beat them without him. <laughs> Funnily enough, I was going to say the same. It's exactly the sort of game that Pep would overthink. And he'll play yes. some sort of mm. inverted left winger so that they can try and take advantage <laughs> of Trent and Liverpool will win it. But um, yeah, I'm Can- with- Cancelo up front. Yeah. That would probably work. He's so good. Oh, they probably could play any formation with any range of the 11 players and they'd still win this, I think. Okay, so um, that's an odd one then, given the uh, the circumstances in the table. Looking elsewhere this weekend, um, Brentford, that's a funny one, isn't it? They've handed out... Absolute drummings to uh, two of our uh, members here, to United first and then to Leeds. Uh, Nine goals uh, conceded, shared across... At least we scored. Your two teams. Uh, At least you scored. That's one up for you, George. Otherwise, uh, they haven't won and they've lost uh, a couple now. They they lost heavily at Newcastle. Um, And they welcome Brighton on a Friday night football. So... um, I think this is a case for me when I make the point that Brentford is a different place to go at night, especially uh, Friday under the lights on TV. I think this might become evident here. That theory doesn't wash given the the two spankings you refer to are both in the sunshine. I've watched them at lunchtime and, and been quite bored. I think that's what I'm basing that whole hypothesis on. Um, BT's choice on Saturday lunchtime is lowly Leicester at home to Crystal Palace. Uh, Crystal Palace are the type of team that you always feel are doing quite well. And then you check their results and see they haven't won for ages. Of course, now they've beaten Leeds, so that doesn't hold true either anymore. But uh, yeah, Brendan Rodgers against Patrick Vieira. Could be an interesting game there. Two promoted sides, Fulham Bournemouth, very much a Saturday three o'clock at that one. But Bournemouth, are. it's important to note 
as high as eighth now and uh, unbeaten under their manager. You mentioned uh, George under there. Is he a temporary? Is he a caretaker, or is he? Has he yeah, got that job? Making a, making a good case for it, isn't he? Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're dragging their heels a bit. They've had an international break to replace them uh, to replace Parker, and and they, yet they still don't seem that close. Do you think he's going to get? Do you think O'Neill's going to get it to the end of the season or to the World Cup? Yeah, it goes to the World Cup would be sensible, wouldn't it? And then see, and then you've got a month to. Interesting to see how many managers get sacked just for the World Cup. Yeah, and you've got a month to sort a new one out. <laughs> also dragging their heels of wolves, aren't they? Yeah, they've been speaking to Julian Lopetegu because he's just been sacked by Sevilla off the back of their. Yeah, drubbing by Dortmund. Um, drubbing by Dortmund, indeed. Which I, I just, I don't get how Wolves keep attracting big name players and and, and like a big name manager like this. Um, yeah, but I guess that's the Jorge Mendes effect, isn't it? Well, he's made some very bad, or he's made one particularly bad career decision in his life, hasn't he? When uh, he was on the brink of taking Spain to the World Cup in 2018 and probably lost. Oh, his Lopetegui, job. not yeah. not Mendes. Oh no, yeah. no, Lopetegui, and yeah. um, and he has sort of painted himself into a bit of a corner there, I think. Wolves feels like quite a good opportunity for him to come and showcase his talents in the Premier League. So, I thought you were going to say that Jorge Mendes's dabblings in the Black Country was his major career oh, mistake. Oh no, I think <laughs> I, I think Wolves up to this point have been really well run, albeit I would like to see their accounts. <laughs> <laughs> And a uh, little better than uh, watching paint dry. So that uh, yeah. Wolves-Nottingham Forest game on Saturday is, again, rightly not on TV. Uh, then we are uh, the Saturday tea time offering at home to Everton. We usually do well at home to Everton, and I hope that continues. I don't want to see any reason for Frank Lampard to smile in our stadium. Uh, and then we've got plenty of games on Sunday because of all the European involvements. Aston Villa uh, at home to Chelsea is the television offering uh, Aston Villa hit and miss. Uh, and we've talked about Gerard's woes recently. Leeds are at home to Arsenal. We're all right behind the mighty Leeds there. Ellen Road, George. Man United at home to Newcastle, as we've commented. West Ham go to Southampton. Never quite know what you get from uh, Arsenal's team. And they were well beaten at uh, Man City. And he seemed to take that as an acceptable scoreline, which I thought was quite funny. Um, but I suppose it is these days, isn't it? Elsewhere in Europe, uh, Nick, you noticed uh, one of your former players is doing well yeah. yet again. Quite impressive uh, in Englishman Abroad Watch. The Chris Smalling interview after he scored again against Lecce this weekend um, was conducted in near where perfect Italian. Um, there's a guy yeah. who's properly Good on him. embraced the the culture abroad and I think is making a, la- a late charge to be the Maguire in this England squad I think um, there aren't many English centre-backs who seem to be playing quite as well in quite a technical league um, Yeah I so. think George said uh, last week that he doesn't think that's going to happen is that right George you don't yeah. think he's going to make a late change Unfortunately not but the other most inform England centre-backs also in Serie A yeah. in Tamori and he's just Tamori why yeah. he wasn't even given a minute of football in the last break. I mean, I give Southgate a lot of credit for things, but that was bizarre. I mean, he was playing for the reigning champions week in, week out in Italy. Um, yeah, the Italian league uh, also very bunched at the top. Napoli are top. It might finally be their year. Uh, 23 points from nine games. I watched their game against Ajax um, last midweek. It was the game that captured me and they were absolutely superb. 
Um, yeah, how many did they get in the end? Five, six. Was it? Oh, six. Six yeah. in Amsterdam. Yeah, um, shocking for Ajax, but yeah, Napoli are absolutely rampant, and of course, one uh, yeah, and of course they beat <laughs> Liverpool as well in Naples. It will be very exciting to see what happens when mm. they come to Anfield. That should be a great game. Uh, Atalanta also still unbeaten in that league. Lazio winning currently as we speak. They'll they'll be in third, but you've got a good six teams at the top of that league bunched together, and then in Germany. Uh, during the Spurs game, perhaps what I should have watched was uh, mm-hmm. Bayern's visit to Dortmund, where they played very well and uh, were on course to beat Dortmund yet again. But there was a uh, 95th minute equaliser from the home side. And Oliver which... Kahn turned himself into a meme. Have you seen that? Oliver Kahn turned himself into a meme with his uh, crestfallen reaction. Yeah, that was quite funny. I was um, quite happy for, is it Modest? Is that his name? Because yeah. yes. he, I don't know if you saw, he got the ball, he got his feet mangled up and missed almost an open goal in the 88th minute to equalise it was a lovely redemption for him I think he's 36 or 35 isn't he he's quite sort of mid 30s yeah. ex-Premier League as well isn't he uh, ex-Blackburn or even even Championship yeah I think. <laughs> yeah. or did he play in the Premier League with them is he that old maybe not that old <laughs> you'd have to be quite old wouldn't you yeah, a couple of, uh, maybe, maybe some more stuff from uh, around the leagues uh, in future episodes. As and when, I look forward to speaking to you two again next Monday, though, after our three home games. We All our teams were away this past weekend, and uh, in conversation, I asked George how many points we would get. He suggested seven. Uh, I said four, uh, and what actually transpired was six points, uh, three for... Manchester United three for Tottenham unfortunately none for George so let's uh, posit the notion for next week then out of Spurs at home to Everton Leeds at home to Arsenal and Manchester United at home to Newcastle how many points are we going to get pod I'm going to say four six obviously United will draw Spurs will win and Leeds will have a great game so this time I'm going to be bullish and I'm going to say seven I'm going to say that two of us will win and one of us will draw but I'm not willing to say who's who <laughs> George no no six points maybe a Richarlison hat trick for so, you so we've got four and... six and seven do we mm-hmm. okay let's yeah. see next week how we did huh okay thank you very much Nick and I uh, look forward to speaking to you again next week thank you very much and thank you George take care have a good week while we're thank all playing you. in Europe <laughs> enjoy thank you bye bye <laughs>